Welcome to the Word of Life podcast, the sermon audio from Word of Life Church in Lesseur, Minnesota. Thank you for listening, and may you be blessed by this word of grace for you today. So this morning, um, first of all, I want to kind of get your brains working on this. What, what do you think are the most famous verses of the Bible? People who, who say they're not even Christians, they don't know nothing about church, but there's something about some of these verses in the Bible have, have kind of seeped their way into American culture. I think if someone was to say, what's the number one most famous verse of the Bible? I think a lot of us would probably say John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, maybe if you've been a part of church for a little bit, Matthew 6, 9 might really uh, stand out to you. Uh, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Um, if you've been to any sporting events or, um, you know, I grew up in a, in a Christian school and, and I remember in the weight room at our Christian school because you had to have Christian posters at the Christian school. And I remember in our weight room we had Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, I don't know if that's exactly what Philippians was talking about um, in pumping iron, um, but we had it there. It's a famous verse anyway. But I think as far as the Old Testament goes, the most famous passage is probably Psalm 23. I've read this many times, and I imagine you have as well. Maybe memorized it in Sunday school. As you know, what happens with some of these scriptures that become so familiar so we forget to actually listen to what they have to say. So let's read this together. We're going to read it kind of slowly. And I want you to think and hear what the text is saying to us today. Psalm 23, it says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Every line of Psalm 23 is rich with wonderful, peace-giving words of comfort and hope promise. Now there's a couple of images that are probably very obvious to you in this text that I want us to think about for a few minutes. Uh, Namely two, right? There's the image of the shepherd and the image of the sheep. Now we don't think about sheep or maybe I don't think about sheep very often. Maybe you think about sheep all the time, but I don't think about sheep very often unless I'm at the Minnesota State Fair and I see like the 4-H entries at the fair. You know, in other countries, they eat mutton and lamb as kind of a regular part of their their diet, Um, but Americans only eat one pound of lamb uh, on average per year, okay? To put that in perspective, uh, Americans uh, eat 61 pounds of beef per year. 
Americans only eat one pound of lamb per year. And you're probably thinking, as, when I read that stat, maybe you had the same thought as like, who's eating my pound of lamb? Because I don't remember the last time I've eaten lamb. But you know, it's funny because the scriptures are just chock full of this image of the shepherd and the sheep. And many of us have probably heard the same pastoral anecdotes about sheep, so I am going to spare you of those a little bit this morning. But I do want to think about the job of the shepherd. As you'll see some of these images on the screen, shepherding is a physically demanding task. Especially in the time of King David. If you remember your Sunday school stories, you will know that before David became famous as a giant slayer and as the king of Israel, he himself was a shepherd and a pretty good one at that. In 1 Samuel 17, David is making his case to King Saul why David should be the champion for Israel against Goliath. As David is giving Saul his resume, he says this, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of the Philistine. Now, I've been in youth ministry a long time and I've been in a lot of Bible studies with middle school boys when I kind of get this idea that maybe they're dozing off a little bit or they're a little bored with the conversation. I usually try to steer it to stories like this. So we have, we have Joshua Yunkin here today. So Joshua, if you can kind of show off your muscles for us a little bit. He's probably the same age as what David would have been when he fought Goliath, when he's giving this exact um, speech to Saul. And you think about that for a second, about killing a bear or a lion with his bare hands. It's a pretty visceral image. But not only would the shepherd have to fend off bears and lions, but there were many other dangers that a shepherd had to remain vigilant about to protect his sheep. Let's look at Psalm 23 once again. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So those are there not only just for kind of beautiful imagery, but to drive home this point that the shepherd does what he needs to do to protect and provide for his herd. So for example, a lot of the terrain that shepherds would cover in ancient Israel were rocky and mountainous and harsh. And if any of you have traveled over there today, it, it remains the same. He would have them lie down in green open pastures so that there's opportunity to see any threat that might be coming the sheep's way. He leads them beside still waters because if he led them to rushing streams and rivers, the sheep would go for a drink and they would get sucked into the river and caught up in the current and be taken by the waters. You see, the shepherd knows exactly what the sheep needs and provides it. The shepherd is always looking out for the sheep. 
If my point has not become abundantly obvious to you, let me make it clear. The Lord, the shepherd, is looking out for you. The Lord has not forgotten you. And the Lord cares for you. You see, what ends up happening more times than not is that we as the sheep are typically not aware of the shepherd in the peaceful and quiet times. When things are going well for us, much like sheep, we keep our head down and munch on the grass in front of us. It's these next verses that David talks about that we become, more, we become increasingly aware of our need for the shepherd. Verse 3, he says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And maybe you notice in there as well, as well as I did that, you know, last week Pastor Jay talked about that we as fallen, broken people, that we, we live and we walk on Sinner Street. And we see that same kind of imagery a little bit here, but instead of Sinner Street, it says that we are led by the shepherd onto paths of righteousness. The other thing I hope that you are noticing in here is this language of leading and following. With God as our shepherd, we can walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness and fear no evil. But I'm guessing many of us in this room, those of us online, are a little too familiar with the valley of the shadow of death. And it's there that we as sheep, we become fully aware of our need for the shepherd. Now, I don't know about you, but I often forget to say my prayers before dinner or we'll go stretches without spending time in the Word. But when I find myself in a scary, overwhelming, difficult situation, I feel like my prayer life seems to fire up then and there. When I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I become painfully aware of my need for my Savior Shepherd. But here's the beautiful reality about it, is that just because I wasn't aware of the shepherd, it does not mean that the shepherd was not aware of me. The shepherd has been there the whole time. Aware of it or not, the shepherd has loved me the whole journey. And that reveals itself in verse 6, right? Psalm 23 is a fairly short psalm, but it's in this last verse that sometimes we overlook this aspect of the shepherd it says this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Now earlier in the psalm it talks about the shepherd leading the sheep. In this final verse it says, Goodness and mercy shall follow me. You know, follow is not necessarily a word that we struggle to understand. It's, it's one we use all the time, right? If you're going to someplace new and you don't know the way, you say to your friend, I'll follow you. That's oftentimes we're, we're pretty okay giving up that, that power of 
to follow. And in the context of Psalm 23, I think we all assume that goodness and mercy following us means something like, you know, goodness and mercy, they'll, they'll always be around. You know, goodness and mercy, we're never far from them. And that's not, it's not wrong, but it's not exactly what the text is saying here. You see, the word that we translate as follow is the Hebrew word radap. And radap means to pursue or chase down. So for example, I play this game with my son Tommy where Tommy will chase me around the house, right? So if you've not met Tommy, Tommy's about this tall. And he'll chase me around the house and then I'll turn around and I'll chase him around the house, okay? And I'll just let you know, in this game of chase, I always win. <laughs> I come up behind him and I wrap my big arms around his little body and he has no chance of escaping that, that goodness and mercy of his father wrapping around him. And in Psalm 23, God's goodness and mercy are not passively hanging around behind us, but they are actively pursuing us. They are chasing us down. The verb here actually sounds more like a lion hunting its prey. And in the same way, the goodness and mercy of the Lord are hounding us. God is the hunter, and he has given chase. And thank God that there is no escape from his goodness and his mercy. We find ourselves caught time and time again by the good and merciful God. To kind of flesh this out, but also to wind down a little bit this morning, I want to tell you a story. Story of a, young, of a man named Francis Thompson. Francis Thompson, he was born in 1859 in a little house in Lancashire, England. Okay? Francis was the second son of Charles and Mary. Charles was a um, very successful physician at the time. His mother's desire for him was that Francis would become a priest. And education in the 1800s is a little bit different than how it is now. And, and, and kids were starting to get, they would get groomed for their vocation at a very early age. <clears throat> So at the age of 11, Francis was sent off to Urshaw College to study in the seminary. But it, it didn't really work out for Francis. There's a, there's a letter that the, the, uh, the dean of the seminary sent to Francis's parents that said, we have prayed and prayed for Francis. We have spent lots of time, and it is in our opinion that Francis should consider another vocation. So it didn't work out. Francis didn't become a priest. So the next idea was that maybe Francis uh, would become a physician like his father. So they sent him to a different college, this time Owens College in Manchester. And for the most part, Francis hated every moment of it. But what he did fall in love with, however, was reading and writing poetry. He would spend most of his time in the college library reading the classics. In 1879, there was, a, there was an event that would change Francis' life forever became sick in, in what would have been the pandemic of the day. He became sick with tuberculosis. And he received a prescription for laudanum. Now, maybe you've ever heard of laudanum before, but laudanum was a, a fairly potent uh, mix of sweetened wine and opium. Yeah, I can, 
It, if it sounds dangerous, it was. Um, at the time, laudanum was really considered to be the miracle drug of the 1800s. Um, it, was, it was a great pain reliever, um, as you can imagine it probably was. Um, but what they also discovered is that it was highly addictive. It was the addictive nature of laudanum that would send Francis Thompson's life into a death spiral. So he was at college and he would... He would um, he would try to test out for his medical exams, and he failed three different times over eight years and, and came to a point where he had no idea what he was going to do with his life. Um, so much so that one morning, it says that his sister walked into Francis's room, and there was just a note that said that he had left for London. Very little clothes and even less money. Francis had no idea what was waiting for him there. The fact was there was a lot of destitution and despair. Francis went from one desperate job to the next. He, he started off as, as, a, uh, as a delivery man in a pharmacy. Didn't work out. Then he went and worked in a boot shop. Was fired from that boot shop. His next job was he would hold horses for people as they were dismounting them. Um, a job that we don't necessarily need today, but would have been pretty important in the streets of London at that time. Um, but still a, a fairly menial job and didn't work out for Francis. Francis got so desperate that what he would do is he would try to find matches and then sell them in the streets of London. It's noted that at the time he um, was very gaunt looking, almost not looking like a man, and desperate and homeless. The one thing that Francis did do, though, was that he, he started writing poetry any little scrap of paper that he could find or um, any little bit of money that he wasn't putting towards his drug addiction of laudanum, he would, he would try to work on this poetry of his. The one thing he did, kind of one last desperate act, he, had, he collected the poetry on these scraps of paper and, he, and he, um, he put them in a package and he dropped them off in the mailbox um, because he didn't have enough money for the postage to do this. He walked over to the offices of what was called Mary England Magazine. The man uh, who was the editor there was a guy named Wilfred Maynell. And he receives this, um, this package that was just signed with Francis Thompson. Hadn't ever met him, but he started reading this poetry and was, I have to find this man. And he, and he does. He's, he successfully tracks Thompson down and befriends him, much like the, the Good Samaritan. He takes Thompson in and um, they start paying, uh, he, he, they take him to the doctor and he's paying for his medical bills. Thompson's addiction to laudanum was actually, um, was so severe that at the time the recommendation from the doctor um, was that if, if he ever went off of laudanum, that it would actually um, hasten his death even quicker. That's how uh, dependent his body had become on it. But they, they kind of went for it anyway, and they, they set him up in, in a monastery there um, outside of London. And, and these letters that Thompson would write to Maynell um, are, are, are pretty honest letters. And he talks about this, um, this addiction, this specter outside the door that Thompson had not given up hope. It's in this sort of rehab that Thompson ends up writing what would become one of the all-time classics, not just of Christian poetry, but of English literature. This poem is called The Hound of Heaven, and it's one of the most incredible pictures of God's love and our resistance to that love and of his goodness and faithfulness 
for us at our worst. And if you read it, it's clear of Thompson's story of this addiction, but if you also read it, it's really clear of our own need as well. The story is of a man who is being chased throughout the entire poem by what he thinks is sort of an impending judgment, a voice of change that he does not welcome, a voice that threatens to squash his enjoyment of the world's vices. The opening lines of this famous poem say this, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthian ways of my own mind. And in the mist of tears, I hid from him. This thing that, that the poet is fleeing is this, is this hound. He sees this dog following him. And he becomes very afraid of it. These lines set the tone and the pace for the rest of the poem. He ends each poetic sequence with a quote um, from the hound of heaven himself, this voice of the hound speaking to the poet. At first he says, all things betray thee who betrayest me. In other words, whoever or whatever betrays God also betrays the object of his seeking. And those upon whom God seeks to bestow his grace... Um, in, in the second sequence of this poem, the last line says, Not shelters thee who will not shelter me. Thompson is making this point that God is the source of all things safe and secure, so whomever chooses to shut him out will be shut out. But the irony of it is that God is not the one who does the unsheltering. It is those who are choosing to unshelter from God. But throughout this poem... And throughout Thompson's life and and the the life of the man in the poem, he becomes more and more desperate to find the object of his longing. And at the end, it is realized that all along what he desired is what was pursuing him from the very beginning, namely God and his grace. Ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he whom thou seekest. Thou dravest love from me who dravest me. God is saying, you drove love away from yourself because you have driven my love away from you. He is speaking to those who are running, those who are running from God. The weakest and the blindest who cannot see that God loves them and wants to shower them with his grace. That's us. David says here in Psalm 23 to make this connection, if you know the life of David at all, David had days of incredible victory and days of incredible defeat. Days of humbling obedience and days of impassioned sin. Days of meditation on the word of God and days of running and wondering and wandering and even brazen unrepentance. But in Psalm 23, he makes no distinction between those days, right? He doesn't say through the good days and the bad days. But these days are the days of the relentless pursuit of of goodness and mercy of God for the sheep. Their unstoppable hounding has been the constant through all the days of his life. And so it is with us. 
Brothers and sisters, Psalm 23 tells us that we have nothing to fear. Even when we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death, our great good shepherd goes with us. God is the one who chases us with his goodness and mercy, and he is the one who leads us on paths of righteousness. God is calling out to you and to me that we are his beloved sheep and he is our faithful shepherd. Those rapidly approaching footsteps you hear are not those of temptation or of the devil coming to do you in, but now those footsteps you hear belong to the hound of heaven and they are known as the goodness and mercy of God. God, we thank you. We thank you that your goodness and mercy pursues us. God, we are often we often feel like we probably have the same IQ of sheep and we do stupid things all the time. But God, you love us anyway. You don't abandon us. You as the good shepherd, you do protect us. You do care for us. Jesus, not only are you the good shepherd, but you were the sacrificial lamb who died in our place and took our punishment of our sin. God, we thank you that you hunt us down with your love and your goodness and mercy. That pursuit does not stop because you love us. Thank you, Jesus.